0: Hi,
1: and welcome back to New Books and Genocide Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. My name is Kelly McFrawl from Newman University, and I'm a host on the show. And today we're welcoming, ba- welcoming back two frequent and prolific guests, John Roth and Carol Rittner. Each has been on the show before, so I'm not going to take any undue time introducing them myself. Um, but I do want to point you back to earlier interviews they've done. You can find them in your podcast feed or on the web page for the show. Uh, and today, uh, they're here to talk about their new edited volume, uh, a book called "The Memories of uh, the Memory of Goodness: Eva Fleischner and Her Contributions to Holocaust Studies." Uh, and we're going to get a chance to talk about uh, Fleischner, um, but also about the way she worked in a broader dialogue and interaction between. Um, Catholic uh, churches and Catholic hierarchies and ch- Catholic circles and, and Jewish uh, individual thinkers and circles after the Holocaust in, in, a, in an effort to wrestle with what the Holocaust meant for, for both faith traditions. So John and Carol, I'm eager to talk about the book. It's wonderful. Welcome back to
0: the show and thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you very much, Kelly, for having us back.
0: It's always a pleasure. Yes, thanks, Kelly. We really appreciate your interest in our work and on this occasion, uh, your interest in Eva Fleischner.
1: So before we dive
0: into this book, I thought um, you you all have been working together
1: for, I think you said 30 years or so when we were talking before we started recording. Uh, I'm curious um, if you could say a little bit about how that collaboration started and and how it's evolved over time.
2: Well, let me jump in and um... Say how I met John. I believe, John, that I first met you uh, at the uh, conference I organized with Ellie Wiesel in Washington, D.C. Uh, about uh, rescuers of Jews uh, during the Holocaust, called Faith in Humankind, Rescuers of Jews during the Holocaust, and I believe it was the late Harry James Cargis who actually uh, kind of introduced us. Uh, so that would have been about uh, well that would have been in the about 1982 or four about 1984 I think and then I became the head of the Ellie Wiesel Foundation for Humanity after Ellie got the Nobel Peace Prize and I believe that we had you come into New York on a, to, to a couple of of uh, meetings that we had uh, where Ellie wanted. Uh, to get some advice from you on various things we were going to try to do through the foundation. And if I remember correctly, um, by this time it would have been about 1989, uh, sorry, yeah, about 1989 or so. And you sent me, uh, you and Michael Berenbaum sent me a copy of your book Uh, about, uh, that contained um, essays that you and Michael identified as now classic essays on the Holocaust. I believe it was your book, uh, Religious and Philosophical um, Implications of the Holocaust. I I may not have the title, (coughs) excuse me, just correct. Anyhow, I looked through the book rather quickly and I'm thinking to myself, right, these are, these are, what we might call now classic essays on the Holocaust, but where are the women? I knew there were female scholars who had written essays. And my first quick look at the book, my eye didn't catch anything. So when we spoke on the telephone, you asked me, did you get the book? And I said, yes, but where are the women? And I believe it was that question that really began our
0: collaboration. Yes, we did uh, uh, that early book called uh, Different Voices, Women in the Holocaust, which uh, has had uh, some influence in uh, calling attention to that topic and and helping to encourage uh, teaching and scholarship about that. And there's even a connection now with the book on Eva Fleischner because uh, in the, the, the volume that we're talking about today, one of the nice things from my point of view about that is it's another way of answering the question, where are the women that you asked not long ago, Carol? And so uh, this book calls attention to a woman who was very uh, influential and early in uh, the work that she did on the Holocaust and related topics. So just one further comment on uh, Kelly, how Carol and I got together. I I would say if you were you know, looking deep down, uh, we would have to say that it was the Holocaust and, in a way, Elie Wiesel who brought us together. And this would be um, a, a part of a narrative that would uh, touch many people who have uh, gone on to work in uh, Holocaust studies and genocide studies Um, um and it's true of Eva Fleischner as well. She, was, uh, she didn't start out wanting to focus on the Holocaust. In fact, uh, she was discouraged from doing that. But uh, her better judgment prevailed, and she went forward with that work. And uh, Elie Wiesel was an, in, another influence on, on how her thinking developed, particularly, I think, with regard to uh, Jewish-Christian uh, relationships. So Carol and I have had a long uh, and productive uh, scholarly relationship as well as a a wonderful friendship. I I like to tell a story that uh, Carol Rittner is one of the most entrepreneurial uh, women, particularly among uh, religious uh, in the Catholic church that I know, I tease her sometimes that if she hadn't become a nun, she would be the CEO of a corporation. And uh, I also say that I I always do what she tells me because she has uh, an unfailing uh, sensibility for finding projects that are worth doing. And very often she uh, uh, gathers together the resources that bring people together Uh, in collaborative scholarly ways that uh, produce books and insights and friendships.
2: Thank you very much. uh, I'll just make one comment uh, about John. Of course, for me, it's been a great privilege to work with John because, I mean, he is a wonderful scholar, a wonderful human being. And the one thing that I can say well, I can say many things, but one of the things I can say about working with John is he's encouraging. I have, I have always felt that no matter what kind of, particularly in writing, I'm, I'm not an easy writer. And uh, so I'm always struggling to try to say what I, want I try to say. And John is always uh, very encouraging. I mean, he, He builds on my weaknesses and makes my weaknesses look very good. I mean, John is both a great scholar and a wonderful human being. So I thank you for many years of collaboration, John. It's been great. Thanks
1: for for telling us those stories. Um, Maybe some other podcast will uh, have time to pick your brains about advice for graduate students and for academics about how to write successfully or how to write to completion or how to edit books. But but now let, let, let's turn to this book and, and maybe, and I guess I'll start with John. Uh, who yeah. is Eva Fleischner and, and how did you know her and, and work with her?
0: Eva Fleischner uh, began her life in, in Vienna, Austria. Uh, she was born into a family uh, that was Catholic on her mother's side and Jewish on her father's side. But she was uh, on the Jewish side. The family was highly assimilated. And Eva often mentioned, you know, when people would sometimes say, "Oh, you have Jewish uh, heritage, she would, she would sort of push back and say, no, no, my family was never uh, oriented toward uh, Judaism or a uh, Jewish culture very much. But she was born in the 20s in the 1920s in Austria. Mm. And so she came of age during the time when uh, Hitler and and the uh, German Nazis uh, uh, occupied uh, Austria. And uh, because under the Nazi definitions, um, Eva would have been regarded as as at least partly Jewish, uh, her family uh, decided wisely that children should get out. And uh, she had a younger brother named Hans uh, who just recently passed away. And they were uh, sent first to England and then eventually to the United States. And eventually the family was, was united in, in the United States. Uh, Eva went to uh, Radcliffe College, I'm now part of Harvard University, had a career early on in publishing And then uh, always having been uh, a devout uh, Catholic, she found her way increasingly into a relationship with with her church in a personal kind of way. And that led uh, into an interest in uh, scholarship and eventually took her to a PhD um, uh, that uh, launched her uh, academic career. I'll let Carol add more to this, but in a nutshell, uh, Eva became one of the early uh, people uh, working in some important areas, and these are the ones that are highlighted in the book. Uh, she was an early teacher in public universities, and uh, to some extent, specifically with regard to Catholic institutions, she was an early teacher uh, of focusing her work on the Holocaust. And she did this with some reluctance because uh, she didn't feel like she was particularly prepared or equipped to do this work, but she went, um, went at it and then reflected on it. And, and some of the essays that are in the book are very sensitive reflections on the, uh, the prospects, pitfalls, and importance of teaching about the Holocaust. She also early on had an interest, and this I think can trace back in some ways to her roots, although she didn't talk about this a great deal, but she was always very interested in Jewish Christian and in particular Jewish Catholic relationships. And uh, she did important work on that. Uh, And then she got interested uh, partly through the suggestion of the uh, Jewish Holocaust historian Yehuda Bauer to pursue uh, the stories about rescuers, particularly uh, Catholic rescuers, but also secular rescuers uh, in France who uh, helped to uh, save the lives of uh, Jews in that country. So these are the three areas that we found uh, her contributions to be most pronounced as far as Holocaust studies are concerned. And we unearthed, uh, a variety of essays that she had written over the course of a career that we think are lucid, accessible, uh, and still very timely.
2: I would uh, add to John's uh, wonderful kind of summary of um, Eva's life and some of the work that she did. What I would add is, uh, is this, Eva was always a Catholic scholar. I would say that Eva, I I only met Eva after uh, Vatican II. But from what I can gather from reading her writings and knowing a little bit about her life, I would say Eva was in many ways a traditional um, pre-Vatican II Roman Catholic. Um, And what opened her eyes was, um, first of all, her involvement with the Grail, that was the lay organization of of women uh, founded in in, uh, the Netherlands in the uh, early 1920s that she became a member of. Uh, I think it was her spiritual formation, if I can put it that way, in the Grail that began to open our heart, particularly to the Psalms, and then she went to the University of Notre Dame. Uh, at one point, she was sent there by uh, the Grail, this organization that she was part of, religious organization she was part of, and she studied uh, literature, uh, liturgy and catechetics. This would have been in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s. So just as Vatican Council II was kind of heating up and Pope John the 23rd was having such an impact on the church. Eva was sent to Rome as a correspondent for the Grail's publication. They had a little publication and she got uh, correspondence or correspondent, um, uh, status at uh, at Vatican II at the second session of Vatican II. So this would have been about 1963-64, and um, she she went uh, to mass this one day with other members of the correspondent group and other observers uh, at the Vatican. And when she went forward forward to receive Holy Communion. A, a, um, a Swiss guard stopped her and said she could not receive communion. And Eva was both, I think, shocked, frustrated, and angry that she, as a woman, was not, was not permitted by this Swiss guard to receive Holy Communion. And, and uh, so I think that particular event had, a, had an impact on her in some ways. I think the other thing that had an impact on her as a Catholic again is um, the document that came out of Vatican II in 1965, Nostra Aetate. Um, so she she would have been like tuned into all of this happening, and of course Nostra Aetate is the document in which the Roman Catholic Church, uh, a bit late, uh, said that you know Jews neither during the time of Jesus nor after the time of Jesus were responsible for the death of Jesus. And uh, also, just around this time, uh, 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 Eva went to France. I'm not sure I have my date's right. We have a wonderful chronology, by the way, in the book that indicates lots of events that we think had an impact on Eva and on her life. But in any event, Eva went to France um, to do some study. And while she was there, you know, in the post-World War II French Catholic Church, there was a lot going on. The French Catholic Church was trying to come to terms with its failures during the Holocaust and, and with the fact that the church the hierarchy of the church for the most part overwhelmingly for the most part uh, did not stick up for the jews um there was a lot going on in french theology from people like Henri de lubac and um Chenou and all these various theologians and Eva kind of imbibed what was going on in the French Church? She she had been part of Vatican II. She comes back to the United States now. She's a Catholic, and I and Eva always. I think now this is my judgment, of course. I think Eva always struggled to remain as a faithful Catholic, and yet to also be a critical Catholic. Th- this is part of why I think I identify with Eva. I I didn't know. Eva. Per- I didn't personally know her well. I knew her personally and I met her uh, and I was at meetings with her. In fact, invited her, John and I invited her to a seminar we organized about Pius Twelfth, and her essay in the book on Pius XII is a result of that seminar. But I didn't know her personally the way John and his family came to know Eva personally. But I would say In struggling with coming to terms with her own Jewish heritage, plus coming to terms with the failures of the Catholic church generally during the Holocaust, I think Eva struggled, maybe that's too strong a word, but I think she wrestled with trying to remain Catholic and yet to to also try to be critical. About the church, and I think this is what got her into teaching about the Holocaust. You now, I think there's an old saying that, that at least as I understand it, that the priest, one could probably say the preacher, always gives the sermon he needs to hear. Um, and I would say that most of us teach in our academic life to the questions that intrigue us that puzzle us, that challenge us. And I think that's what what Eva did. I think that's what encouraged her to begin to teach about the Holocaust, to research about the Holocaust. And I think her efforts, excuse me, her effort to also draw attention eventually to to what uh, some, mostly Christians in the case of the people she studied, in France, the, the French Catholics who tried to help Jews during the Holocaust, I think it kind of reaffirmed or it affirmed for Eva, well, they weren't all indifferent. Some people, as Ellie Wiesel would have put it, uh, saved our faith in humankind. And that's why part of the reason I think that even... Eva gave attention to studying about rescue.
1: It's yeah, really interesting because it's, it is a, a parallel understanding to the one that she gives in her essays, but it's not quite the same, right? Because when she, when she writes, she talks about these, these moments when she is struck by reading people that, or, or pieces that she had not read before or talking to people that she had not read before. And, and suddenly, having suddenly have those questions and those concerns kind of jump to the front of her head. So, I, I she talks specifically about um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, and I wonder. And I, I guess John, I'll, I'll start with you. For those people who don't know anything about these traditions, who was Heschel, and and how was he important in this work? Uh,
0: Abraham Joshua Heschel was. Uh one of the most important uh, Jewish uh, thinkers of the uh, 20th century and uh, his importance uh, remains and even grows as uh, 21st century unfolds. Uh, He was important in the uh, history of Jewish Catholic relationships because he became an advisor to uh, Uh, Vatican II, the council that that Carol has talked about. And he was insistent on uh, making as sure as he could as a a Jew working in a Catholic context um, when it came to the part of the Nostra Aetate document that talked about Catholic-Jewish relationships. Heschel was um, as adamant as he could be to ensure that the church uh, rejected its uh, uh, anti-Jewish bias, which had done uh, immense harm, had been, in fact, instrumental in uh, providing the seedbed for the Holocaust. And uh, Heschel uh, was important to Eva Fleischner uh, in in two very direct ways, um, Eva got to know Heschel, and at one point uh, counseled with him about her desire to uh, write about the Holocaust. And uh, Heschel actually discouraged Eva from doing that. But my guess is that. It, that she heard his discouragement, not simply as discouragement, but as a challenge. And uh, Eva went on to, uh, to work on Holocaust-related uh, topics then throughout her career. But Heschel remained a kind of uh, guidepost for her uh, all the way through, particularly when it came to uh, Eva's tackling and working as much as she could to undermine what uh, came to be known as the teaching of contempt, uh, which is a tradition that can be found in, uh, in Christianity, not just Catholic Christianity, but Christianity of all stripes, that basically uh, denigrated Judaism and the Jewish tradition um, as being um, superseded, overcome, replaced by uh, Christianity in one way or another, and it included at its worst the uh, charge that uh, Jews were responsible for the uh, crucifixion and death of, of Jesus, which was rejected in the Nostra document that Carol has talked about. So uh, Eva, um, I think, got um, deeply committed to Uh, working to undermine the teaching of contempt. And the book has an excellent article where she outlines what that teaching uh, amounted to and why she was so opposed to it. Um, I I think Heschel was a a key influence on Eva Fleischner in this regard. And then the other thing, and this is one place where where the timeliness of Eva Fleischner's thought is, is evident. It's true in in many of her essays, but nowhere more so than in the way in which Abraham Joshua Hessel um, influenced Eva to embrace religious pluralism, the notion that no tradition has a corner or a privileged position with respect to truth with regard to God and reality, that, that that Judaism, Christianity, and other traditions have partial glimpses into these um, mysteries and realities. And there's a place for each of them. They should should be complementary to one another, not exclusive to each other. And Eva was a um, um, person as a Catholic who embraced this pluralism of outlook, And I think this was one of the things that, goes back to a point Carol made, which I slightly disagree with, but but I accept. I don't think Eva ever struggled about whether she should be a Catholic or not. I think she was a Catholic. She wanted to be a Catholic, but she wanted to be a Heschel Catholic in the sense of being a, a, a religious pluralist who uh, identified with the tradition that was hers and that she wanted to claim as hers, but where she realized that this tradition was one among many that deserved respect and should receive uh, support and encouragement mutually.
2: But I I, I wanna just, uh, first of all, I accept your, your comment. Um, I would only say, uh, I would offer just a few little comments uh, about uh, Heschel and Eva Fleischner's relationship with him. As I read her, uh, her essay about her two essays, I believe we have in the book where she refers to Abraham Joshua Heschel. When she went to uh, Rabbi Heschel and he asked or she presented to him what he, she wanted to do in her uh, PhD dissertation was to come to, to, to try to ascertain a Christian, uh, the understanding of the Holocaust for Christians. I think I have that phrase properly. And that's when Rabbi Heschel said to her, or the meaning, the meaning, I believe that was the term she used, the meaning of the Holocaust for Christians. And Heschel said to her, there is no meaning in the Holocaust not for Jews, not for Christians. And uh, which I think is why when she did her dissertation, um, she didn't aim at looking for meaning in the Holocaust, but she looked at um, as her, uh, her, the title of her dissertation, Judaism and German Christian Theology since, since 1945. Christianity and Israel considered in terms of mission. Um, so I I think that what Heschel tried to do was to say to her, listen, it isn't meaning that you should be looking at what does the holo- What's the meaning of the Holocaust for Christians? That's one thing. The other thing I would say is, of course, I don't know if if Eva struggled with what it was. I, I guess. Probably I'm speaking more about my own struggles to remain faithful when I see all the failures uh, in the the Christian churches uh, during the Holocaust. But I would say Eva was also influenced in her view of pluralism and religious pluralism by Vatican Council, too. I mean, prior to Vatican Council II, the traditional teaching was there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. And it was Vatican Council II that in uh, its documents, the Church and Lumen Gentium uh, Nostra Aetate, and in the, uh, the book on, or the, the, the uh, document on religious freedom, the um, that I think really influenced um, uh, Eva Fleischner. I, I think Eva was, like many of us, enormously influenced by Vatican Council II and uh, and by the French uh, Catholic Church and what was happening in the French Catholic Church in theology, and by these theologians, de Lubacht and Chenu and Rahner wasn't French but was very influential at Vatican II. The late Gregory Baum, uh, who was a Canadian um, Catholic theologian, I mean, by their thinking, um, that I I think that I think Vatican II is even more influential on um, Eva's view toward pluralism. Uh, At least, this is what I read as I read her documents, her essays. Uh, not that Heschel didn't influence her, I think he did. And she had a very warm relationship with Abraham Joshua Heschel and his family. And um, it's too bad we don't have Eva here to ask her in
1: person. I'm, I, I, I also noted that phrase, Carol, and I, I, wondered, um, I wondered if some of what she did and here, uh, We've been talking about her interest in Jewish-Christian or Jewish-Catholic relations, which is a big theme in the book. And I I wondered to some extent if her interaction with the Holocaust was an attempt not to find meaning in it, but to make it meaningful by addressing the ways in which the Catholic or Christian churches had contributed to the attitudes that brought it about. So I wonder if you could, and I'll start with Carol and then John can jump in. So what did this mean for her in a very practical way? I know she was involved in some of the discussions within the Catholic Church about the Holocaust and and, and interfaith dialogue. How did she try and bring these concerns into action, to put these into action?
2: Well, one of the ways that I originally uh, met Eva Fleischner was through, uh, Dr. Eugene Fisher. And Gene Fisher for years was the uh, U.S. Catholic bishops, if I could say, representative in terms of, he's a layman, still living, uh, in in terms of uh, Catholic Jewish relations. And Eva was on his advisory board. Now, I was not on the advisory board, but if my memory serves me correctly, at some point in Washington, D.C., I w- when I was working with Ellie Wiesel on one of these conferences we organized, I had a meeting, um, and Jean Fisher was there, Michael McGarry, and Eva Fleischner was there. So I think one of the ways Eva tried to, uh, to put her views. Uh, about the Holocaust, about Jewish Christian relations into practice was being a member and working through the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, the advisory board with with Jean Fisher. I think that was one way. A second, of course, as a teacher uh, in a state university in New Jersey, I think she also tried in working with her students to put her views in in a practical way into practice. But I also think that when she accepted to be one of the six members of that Catholic Jewish group that were to to look, uh, it was a group of scholars, uh, three Jewish, three Catholic scholars, to examine the documents, the Vatican documents about World War II and Pius XII that at that time uh, were public. They were to to, uh, review review these documents because there's lots of discussion about Pius XII and what he did, what he didn't do during the, the war. I think that was another way. And I think the ultimate way she put into practice what she thought about and struggled with in terms of, or accepted, wrestled with uh, about Catholic Jewish relations was when she got fed up with the um, blockage that she and these other five Catholic and Jewish scholars um, encountered in dealing with these Vatican documents. In our book, we have uh, the report from that that Catholic Jewish uh, group, along with dozens of questions that they put to the Vatican and that at least at the time were never answered. And I think she just got fed up and she resigned. She said, this is nothing but a waste of my time.
0: He was active also, Kelly, uh, uh, in uh, what was, I think I'm remembering correctly here, uh, what was at the time called the uh, Church Relations Committee at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Um, it's now the name of that committee has changed and it focuses more broadly on uh, ethics. But uh, uh, that committee was tasked with um, trying to think about how the museum could Effectively conduct uh, outreach to um, the churches in terms of education and uh, accountability, as far as the churches uh, are, are concerned, with respect to uh, what they did or did not do uh, during that uh, during that time of genocide. And then uh, Eva was a, a player, uh, an important voice in uh, long-standing. Group, I was able to attend a few times, but they, they usually met on the East Coast, and I was out in California. But um, I knew this group as the Christian Scholars Group, and this was a, a group of Protestants and Catholic scholars uh, who were either working in Holocaust studies and education or had, had interests that related to that, <laughs> that worked uh, as a group to try to uh, call attention to things like the teaching of contempt and to try to articulate a more uh, constructive path forward for relationships between um, Jews and Christians. And Eva was an important uh, person in in the work of that uh, scholars group also. So she found a lot of different ways to um, um, express in practice Usually in uh, communities of practice, uh, the concerns and interests that uh, that she had.
2: May I also add to what John just said about uh, practical ways, and of course, the suggestions I also made. Eva was also one of the founding members of the advisory committee to the National Catholic um, Holocaust Education Center at Seton Hill University. Um, Now, some people have criticized uh, the National Catholic Center saying, "Why? who appointed them a National Catholic Center on Holocaust education? Be that as it may, Eva was one of the founding advisory committees. That's another place where I interacted with her a few times because I'm, have been on that committee for a long time. But Eva supported in every way that she could, even even as she got older and one could see she was getting frailer. She would come in, by this time, she was living on the West Coast, but she would fly into Pittsburgh where her late brother Hans and his family lived, and she would come to these meetings and she was always very vocal, very involved, offering good suggestions about how the center could educate clergy and teachers and students about the Holocaust and about Jewish Christian relations. And, uh, you know, she put her enormous, if I could say enormous professional reputation behind that center and helped it to grow. I want to,
0: I want to add a point here uh, as well, because it goes to, what uh, Eva's um, purpose was, I think, in, in Holocaust education. And this goes to her interest in uh, rescuers. Yeah. She was well aware that uh, rescuers were a minority. Uh, most people did not do that work, but she was struck by uh, relationships we had she had with some of the French rescuers. And we know this is characteristic of of many uh, people who did this, who did not see themselves as heroes or as extraordinary people, but as only doing what, what would be normal for people to do, especially people who were Christians, that is to reach out and offer a helping hand as much as one could. And I think Eva's teaching about the Holocaust always had in it, she was very careful and, and nuanced about this, but I think she believed that teaching about the Holocaust with all the darkness and, and death and destruction that that involves, had the possibility to make people better. It's, it's the, it relates to the title of the book, The Memory of Goodness. And I think this is why uh, Eva was uh, often in her reflections about uh, Holocaust education and teaching. She felt that it was so important to teach about the rescuers, but you had to be careful about when you introduced this because you didn't want to create the impression that everybody was a good person who rescued people. Only a few did it. But for Eva, the fact that even a few did it had power and significance and uh, even created uh, uh, senses of obligation and bearing witness that were part of, of the mission uh, that she had in mind as a Holocaust educator. So she very carefully you know, would plan in her syllabus You know when to introduce this theme of rescue and then when she did it it came uh it came through in an impactful way at least that was her hope that it would show people that no not you didn't always have to just obey and go along you didn't have to be a bystander yes there were risks there were dangers involved but you could uh do something I think this is a very important message in her writing for us today, you know, as we're facing, uh, you know, threats about authoritarianism and uh, attacks on democracy and things of that kind. And there's a kind of inclination to feel like, oh, well, there's not much we can do, you know, it isn't, we don't have much power in our hands. And I think Eva, if she were here, she'd say nonsense, yeah. you know, we have examples of people who saved, rescued, and that's the, that's the thing, especially that Christians who study the Holocaust ought to take away, Um, which doesn't uh, absolve um, us Christians of responsibility or even of uh, failure, but it provides a way to think about uh, how we can take responsibility and be accountable. It's, uh, you know, this
2: book, uh, The Memory of Goodness. It really is a wonderful book, not because of the work that John and I have done, but because of the work that Eva has done that is still, as John has pointed out, it's still relevant today. And the book is a hopeful book. It's a challenging book. If you read it you know, thinking about it and reflecting on on it. And I think there is a lot in this book that can be used, first of all, by teachers. Uh, One of the things that we need to do when we're teaching about the Holocaust is we need to teach about the underside of Christian theology that helped to seed the ground the Holocaust. And this book, as John pointed out, there is a wonderful essay that Eva wrote on the teaching of contempt. I mean, its I think it's an essay that should be read by all teachers and students uh, of the Holocaust. And John, in the very beginning of the book, sets a very good context and introduction to Eva and her life. And of course, the chronology we developed with Events helps particularly people who may not be so uh, conversant uh, with events uh, of uh, happening in the church, in the churches, in Vatican II, and in uh, Eva's life that they could have influenced. I mean, I think that's important. And every one of the essays that Eva has written is accessible. These are not so highly you know abstract that you think to yourself after you've read it now what was that all about it's very clear when you read every one of these essays what it's all about and i also have to say that i believe the documents some of which both john and i have alluded to uh, documents written by the Christian Scholars Group and one written by a group of Jewish scholars about Christianity, the, uh, the Nostra Aetate information, the, the document from the, uh, the, the Christian Jewish Scholars Group that have uh, evaluated or tried to evaluate the documents of, of the Vatican about Pius. <laughs> These are all documents that any course on the Holocaust should have included and any church group who wants to to discuss Christian-Jewish relations or synagogue group could find this book of great interest and great use.
1: Can I think of the one thing you said there, Carol, because I, I was really struck. Um, so, so my response to these essays was very much the way you said. These are personal essays that are passionate about the importance of teaching and are meant to teach teachers as well as to teach other readers. And I was struck by the her concern about the possibility that teaching Christian anti-Semitism can actually lead to um, outcomes or results that she, she 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 feared rather than encouraged. Right, now I'll just read a quick quote. She says guilt, which remains guilt is dangerous. It will become too heavy a burden sooner or later and may in the end result, it may in the end result in blaming the victim. Um, and that really struck me. Um, and I wonder both of you teach, both of you have read uh, and, and knew Ava and have read her work but also teach this herself. I wonder if you could respond to that concern and and and, and Say
0: something about that. Hmm. John,
2: I'll let you start on this one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember when I uh, was regularly teaching my course on the Holocaust at uh, Claremont McKenna College that um, I sensed that some of the students, the students who identified as uh, Christian, were, were having um, a difficult time When we got to the point about uh, focusing on uh, Christian um, heritage and complicity in in the Holocaust, because this was something they hadn't been exposed to typically before. And um, the the, the worry that I had was that um, my teaching would be destructive of their Faith, or of their sense of you know the, the uh, significance or quality of the Christian tradition, which I wasn't interested uh, in doing. I didn't. That wasn't my purpose. So I think Eva was concerned about that too, and um, I think her her way of um, focusing on this, which I would have shared as well, and I expect Carol does too, is. You can't uh, soft pedal the the question of accountability and responsibility, but it's important to uh, not balance that exactly, but to ensure ensure that that the complexity of the situation is made clear, which is done partly, and Eva was expert at this, in calling attention to uh, Christians who rescued Jews. And who utterly rejected the teaching of contempt, and who, uh, you know, did, did not uh, see Christianity uh, in that way, even though they were aware that there was that tradition within the, uh, you know, large expanse of uh, Christian culture. Uh, I remember, you know, uh, in Eva interviewed a lot of uh, French rescuers. And uh, and at one point in uh, one of her interviews, which is uh, noted in the book, um, she she's asking somebody about, well, what about the teaching of contempt? Didn't you grow up with that? And the person says, no, I never heard of anything like that. The Christianity I learned was did not have that in it. It was about loving your neighbor. It was about trying to you know, follow Jesus, not, not following some dogma about, you know, how Christians came to interpret, you know, the Jewish tradition, and, and moreover, uh, this person, I think, uh, in, in her conversation with Eva, you know, keeps coming back to the notion that Jesus was a Jew, and so were all of his, you know, followers, so where, where this notion that somehow the Jews were the enemy, or the you know, the inferior uh, people who have been superseded by now Christian culture and all the rest of this. Uh, I think Eva was, was uh, committed to doing both, you know, doing the analysis that uh, pointed out the need for Christian accountability for utter failure on the one hand and on the other hand saying, there's another way of thinking about this. There's another way of acting. The Christianity is a far more complex uh, and rich tradition than just its kind of teaching of contempt/slash anti-Semitic qualities uh, would suggest. So she wrestled with you know constantly. How do you communicate this? And I think this was also personal for her. I think she uh, when you mentioned that the essays are personal in quality, there's one in particular I'm thinking about. I, I believe it's the last one in the collection where Eva talks about uh, her own kind of commitment to remaining Catholic. And she wanted to, to do that partly as her way of showing that there was another way to be a Christian in relationship to the Holocaust and uh, Jewish community than being a bystander or someone who was hostile to uh, to the Jewish tradition and history, and she was always uh, working very much uh, in her teaching about the Holocaust to make sure that her students did not equate being Jewish with being a victim. She tried, she struggled with this, because I remember in one essay she says, there's just not enough time in the semester to do everything that needs to be done if you're teaching a course on the Holocaust. But she tried as much as she could, and I think the best teachers of the Holocaust do this, to to explain and show, especially in non-Jewish students, that the Jewish tradition is rich, immensely rich. Uh, And it isn't simply to be equated with, uh, the history of the Holocaust
2: I can only say amen to what uh, what John said I, I would say that uh, uh, although in the many years that I've taught about the Holocaust and where I've tried to teach uh, about the what, what we call the underside of Christian theology I, I have so much experience, students feeling guilty, as some students feeling that I'm um, that in in drawing attention to uh, this underside of Christian theology, to the failure of the Christian churches during the Holocaust, that somehow I am um, putting down the churches. I am. Uh, you know, denigrating uh, the Christian churches. And I always say to students, look, it gives me no pleasure to speak about this. I said, you know, although I've taught most of my professional life in a, a state public institution, I mean, I do... the." the students i always let them know who i am that i happen to be a roman catholic nun and i say to them look you know this gives me no pleasure to to uh to teach about this to draw your attention to this i am what you might call a professional religious person and but these are issues we have to face and Uh, And there, as John pointed out, and I think as Eva certainly points out in her teaching, there is another way to be a Christian. And despite the failures, um, there were Christians and others who um, either were never infected by uh, the teaching of contempt or somehow were critical enough and questioning questioning enough to call that tradition into question. And they were able to overcome it.
0: Well,
1: the years since um, Fleischner began her work, uh, we've, we've seen several other moments, right, where the church was implicated, and, and I, the Christian church, but also other institutions of faith implicated in or challenged by or struggling with mass violence. I'm um, looking over at the corner of my desk where um, I have the next book for the next interview I'll be doing, The Routledge Handbook of Religion, Mass Atrocity and Genocide. And John has a concluded, conclusion in this where he laments the reality that people of faith and institutions of faith have been entangled in mass violence for a long time. Um, So I wonder if you can talk, and I guess I'll ask John to start. um, What is the task of academics and people of faith in the 21st century? How how are academics called to research the role of the church? And how are good people of faith or not called to wrestle with these questions?
0: Well, take the volume that you're going to work on uh, next in your series, Kelly, the one about religion and and genocide. Um, I think what that volume shows is that um, wherever there is uh, mass violence, uh, genocide, um, violations of human rights, um, religion is involved in some way or other, because religion is so much a part of of the cultures in which these um, atrocities take place. But then the the interesting question that emerges is, well, how is religion involved? And how are particular traditions involved? And there, the uh, the, uh, complexity of the responses that are needed uh, looms very large. Because uh, in, in most cases, you have uh, the very thing we've been talking about that Eva Fleischer was tuned into. You have bystanding and complicity on the one hand, and then you have, usually, uh, resistance but in a more minority role. And the, and the dilemma, I think, ethic, and this is an ethical issue for me, I think, is how do you uh, maximize role that religion can play in resistance to these these trends and minimize the uh the threat that religion poses on the other which is a way of saying you probably can't get rid of the uh, religious alliance uh with things like authoritarianism and and even violence so it's a struggle and a tension and i think that um, we are wrestling with with a strong version of this right now in the United States, when we are addressing what is even getting attention on nightly newscasts now, uh, white Christian nationalism. And um, my own sense, and I think maybe Eva uh, saw this too, is I think you nearly always get a toxic brew when you get nationalism and religion aligned. Mm-hmm very little good comes from that in the long run religion is is more uh, productive more ethical when it is in a kind of tension if not resistance to um, to the the power of, of the nation or the state or the government so uh, you know that that's where where I see the uh, struggle right now and uh, I'm not wanting to put words into Eva fleischner's mouth but um, I, I, my, my sense is that Eva too was aware that uh, when you get anything approaching uh, an alliance between nationalism and a religious tradition whether it's Roman Catholic or Protestant on the Christian side you've got, to, you've got to, something to have to be aware of yeah. Did
1: Eva ever write
2: anything about other genocides? I don't think so. I I, um, I don't. I, I, do you know anything that Eva wrote about other genocides, John?
0: I don't know. I think uh. I think this was. Um, I think she was so focused on the things that did concern her that she. Uh, she didn't write about other things, it, it, but that isn't to say that she wasn't concerned about right. about them. I mean, the other thing that Carol and I found we um, we um, include in the book a kind of uh, bibliography of Eva Fleischner's uh, writings, and we tried to include everything that we could locate. We found after the fact that you know there were one or two items, maybe could have listed but didn't know about or something like this. So Eva is, uh, uh, she was a scholar, she was a writer, but her bibliography is, is not as lengthy as, as some people's would be. But, uh, but here's the, the thing in, in, in the book that we try to uh, uh, use as a context. I, I argue this. I said, you know, when I, when we look at the contributions of Eva Fleischner to Holocaust studies, or you could say to anything, the main contribution is her life. Hmm. It's, her, it's, it's her as a person. And sometimes who she was got reflected in things she wrote. But the things she wrote were not uh, exhaustive of who she was. I mean, I guess we would hope that would be true of all of us who, right, that, that her concerns and commitments and interests were, uh, were, were broad and global, even if she didn't say right about, you know, other genocides per se. Right.
2: I, I think, well said, John. I think that sums up Eva Fleischner's life and work very well. We've taken a
1: lot of your time. Um, I just have one more question for you. uh, And that seems unfair, uh, since you seem to be working 22 and a half or 23 hours a day, but um, (laughs) are you working on anything now, Carol?
2: Well, uh, John and I will be working on uh, a reissue of uh, Eva's 1973, Dissertation Judaism in German Christian Theology since 1945. When I say we're working on a reissue, um, we've commi- well, Seton Hills National Catholic Center on Holocaust Education has commissioned through us a Christian and a Jewish scholar uh, to do uh, each to do a, a new critical introduction to this work. And then as soon as we see that we'll be doing something, we're not quite sure what it is we're gonna be doing with it, but uh, we will be working on that. The other thing I'm working on is uh, the proceedings from a conference from uh, last October, November, 2021, um, about extremism, Holocaust education, that was held at Seton Hill University. I just got all of the essays, so I'll be working on editing that volume and doing an introduction to it.
0: John? I'm writing a book presently with Leonard Grob, uh, who is a, a Holocaust scholar, also a philosopher like me. Um, and uh, we're writing a book that is uh, exploring the theme. This is the theme. It's actually the subtitle of the book. It's called The Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy. So um, we're, we're thinking uh, about those issues. And the chapter that I've been working on you know, this week is one on uh, religious traditions, where we're talking about um, the relationship between um white Christian nationalism in the United States and religious trends that were afoot in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Oh, wow. uh, And even things that are going on in uh, Putin's Russia with the uh, Orthodox Church there. So it's a fascinating um, project that we uh, hope to complete and have published ahead of the uh, 2024 presidential election campaign. Just a word, a further word back on on, uh, the sequel to the Eva Fleischner book. Um, When we were, Carol Rittner and I were working on um, the essays uh, that Eva wrote, we were also immersed in this um, book that she published in uh, mid 1970s, which was um, her uh, award-winning dissertation that Mm -hmm. focused on what was going on in post-Holocaust theology in Germany. And this, on the face of it, sounds like, well, this might be a rather, you know, dry historical reflection. But uh, Eva always had a genius for taking topics and, and breathing life into them. And in this case, the life she breathed into this topic is another instance where the book remains completely timely, and here's the reason why. But Eva was exploring in the post-Holocaust German theology, Christian theology, post-Holocaust now, was the way German theologians were wrestling with the question, should we try to convert Jews? Is the Christian mission what is the Christian mission after, after 1945 with regard to the Jewish people? And Eva, you know, explores this and finds that there's all kinds of, you know, different positions being taken on this. Some people think, well, sure, you should keep trying to convert the Jews. Other people say, no, don't touch that at all. And, and Eva, you can see the evolution of Eva's thought going here where she's on the side of saying no, we should move for a religious pluralism kind of approach where conversion isn't the point. It's more mm. the affirmation of one another and cooperation and things of this kind. But where where she's on to something that is still utterly timely is the question, which is as contemporary today as it was back then, is what is the relationship between Christianity and Jesus? between Christians and Jews. And we know that within the Christian community, by no means has the, uh, what we call the question of supersessionism been removed, even if it is now, as in some Catholic teachings, uh, reserved for the end of days, where there still is kind of the implication I think Carol can correct me if I've got this wrong. That at the end of days, Jesus will still be revealed as Christians have said, should be. And I think uh, what Eva is wrestling with is whether that's a sufficient solution to this relationship. Right. right. Uh, and, and so, so this book, I what we're trying to do by getting, um, you know, other scholars to. Uh, Frame this and bookend Eva's uh, um, analysis is to sort of say, okay, where has the scholarship gone since Eva wrote this very important book in the 1970s? And how does her analysis of what was going on shed light on or reflect um, things that are happening even now in, in the
2: 2020s? And I, I would just add to what John said that. Also, I think that uh, Eva's 1973, that's when uh, her dissertation was published, that uh, it also should make us think about how we hear the words of what we call sacred scripture, the Christian scriptures. Um, I know that there's been, well, we know that there's been a lot of work done, particularly Uh, since in post-Holocaust Christian scripture uh, scholarship and particularly since Vatican II in the Roman Catholic Church and in the mainstream Protestant churches about trying to provide a context for people when sermons are preached and all of that. But, you know, um, when we hear the words, as we heard on the Monday or Tuesday after Easter Sunday, we heard this in the gospel of John in at daily mass that the, the apostles and the disciples were in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. My guess is that most people aren't thinking about context, but they're thinking about the Jews in the synagogue I, I'm not saying that they're afraid of them, but I like there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think Eva's um, dissertation and the work that we're going to try to do with this dissertation with the two um, scholars that we're working with will help us to draw attention to some of this. So lots of work remains to be done. I'm not saying that Eva started it all, but she certainly was a major contributor to it.
1: Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. I have to say, I did not know much about Eva before I read this book. And I feel like I have a much better grounding and sense of of her importance and her role in these discussions and the way these discussions remain ongoing. And while I do appreciate Carol's comment that um, the credit for much of the work goes to Eva, um, both you and John Carroll did a remarkable job of editing and compiling and, and, and creating a kind of chronology that will help students. So so thank you so much for taking time. I hope that we will get to talk on the podcast again, individually or collectively. But for the moment, we're recording this in May. And so I wish you the best of end of springs and summer. And um, until we chat again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Kelly. It's been great.
2: Yeah, wonderful.